Welcome to Conversational Commerce. Each week, we'll be having real and raw conversations with operators and experts in e-commerce, all about what conversational commerce means to them. I'm your host, Stephanie Griffith. Let's jump in. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Postscript. There are other SMS solutions out there, but Postscript is hands down our favorite SMS tool for e-commerce brands using Shopify and Shopify Plus. They work with some of our favorite brands like Olipop, Brooklinen, Kapari, and thousands of others. And sure, they are our sponsor for this show. Thanks, Postscript, but we love them for many other reasons. Postscript is the leader empowering brands to have two-way conversations with their customers using conversational commerce. They have integrations with your favorite platforms like Gorgeous and Klaviyo, so your brand can be truly conversational. Most importantly, their customer support is next level. I've worked with brands that use Postscript and have been blown away by their customer support. It's no wonder they have over 1,400 reviews and are rated 4.9 stars in the Shopify App Store. For a free 30-day trial, check out our link in the show notes or visit them at postscript.io. Again, that's postscript.io. Hey folks, welcome back to Conversational Commerce. We are so excited to be joined today by the lovely Val Geisler, who is the customer advocacy lead at Clavio. Um, she really needs no introduction, so I'm not going to steal her thunder there, but Val would love to hear a little bit more from you um, about your role um, and just about you in general. I do need an introduction, though. Uh, it helps me know who I am. This time of year, you never really know who you are or what day it is, I feel where, you're, where you're coming and going from. So... Uh, like Stephanie said, I'm Val Geisler. I'm customer advocacy lead at Clavio, which means that my job is to get to know uh, our Clavio customers, uh, amazing brands all over the world who are using Clavio to do big things with the way that they talk to their customers, uh, have conversations and create touch points with customers. So I get to talk to customers. I get to tell their stories to more people. I get to share them with our team and with people who are interested in becoming customers. And it's just a lot of fun. I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and make a bold statement. I like to, like to do that. I think Val is single handedly putting conversation in conversational commerce. Like you, your whole job is conversations. Like you are conversing, you're having these conversations with customers. And I think that's so important. And I really think that it's fairly new. Um, until you know, you took the role that you did at Clavio, I hadn't seen a lot of other folks in those positions. And I think um, as marketers, it's something that is fairly recent for us, we like to think we're listening to our customers having these conversations, but like you're actually doing that. Um, so I just want to say thank you, because I think you're really putting the, the importance of that on the forefront. Yeah, well, you know, my first job was to task you with running this show. So thanks for doing that for me. Um, <laughs> and uh, this idea of customer advocacy uh, exists, it actually does exist in a lot of companies, but it's just not as public as um, yes, as we are at Clavio. So uh, it's not as community driven. It's not as centered mm -hmm. on insights from the the community from the customers um it's definitely in a lot of places it falls under more of a research realm you uh, have uh, more of like a qualitative quantitative insights kind of role a lot of what i'm bringing to clavio is just a better understanding of who our customers are and what it is that they actually want it's something that i've cared about for a really long time and i always um 
So before I came to Clavio, I was a consultant for 10 years uh, in email marketing with uh, both e-commerce brands working within the Clavio platform and then uh, SaaS companies before that. And something that I always cared about was who the customers are and what uh, their stories were and what job they had for the product that they're purchasing. In SaaS, the product that you're purchasing is the software that you're about to decide to use to run your company. For e-commerce, the product could be anything in your product line, anything in your SKUs. But ultimately, it's like, what is the job that they have for that? And it's typically not what we're marketing to uh, our customers. So what we're talking about all the time. Um, mm. And jobs to be done is a framework that I use to get to what that story is. And it's something that is pretty well embraced in the product world in SaaS. Um, it's not as known mm-hmm. in the e-commerce space. Uh, and it's really not even in SaaS, it's not really known outside of product. Product management team, the people who make the product happen, they tend to be jobs practitioners. But if it can't extend beyond the product team, then you don't really have a full understanding of who your customers are. Uh, I think it's vitally important Mm -hmm. that the marketing team know what the jobs are for customers so that they can speak to that. It's something I've always cared about. It's actually the reason why I did email marketing, because Email's like a sneaky way to bring jobs into the conversation. And it sits in the middle of like all marketing. You get to really inform the messaging that goes out to customers. Email is very, by nature, conversational. Uh, email and SMS now. I mean, 10 mm. years ago, it was just email. But it's it's the way to have conversations with your customers. Uh, you can't mm. have conversations with a customer if you're only talking about you. That's not a conversation anymore. So I think that's a really important piece of conversation and conversational commerce is that it is a two-way street. A conversation, it's it's a monologue if you're just talking about you all the time. And we're not doing monologue com- mm, commerce. I love <laughs> structured. Right, exactly. That's commerce. the opposite of what we're doing. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love that. There's a lot to unpack there. And you beat me to the punch. So something we love to start off with, and I want to dial it back just a little bit so we can expand on what you just said, is we we love to get everyone's kind of perspective out of baseline of what is conversational commerce? Because it's it it is a relatively new concept. Um, I think we're all doing our best to really bring it to life and kind of reposition it as the new way to do commerce. Um, so I'd love to hear from you kind of, again, a little bit more about your your perspective on what is conversational commerce? There's lots of levels of it. And I think most people only believe in that like extreme level of conversational commerce, which is truly one-to-one and having human-to-human conversations between customers and brands. That definitely is conversational commerce, but it also doesn't really scale. And a lot of brands Mm. need to be able to scale in a meaningful way. It gets a bad rap, conversational commerce, because, well, if I can't have these one-to-one conversations, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to do nothing and, and just keep doing it the way we've always done it, because it's always worked. Well, it doesn't work anymore. And it's that Mm -hmm. idea of like, well, what got you here isn't going to get you where you're going. And there are levels, Mm -hmm. right? So conversational commerce can look like one-to-one. So having live agents on your chat support and having back and forth with, and maybe in some cases, it's not even like the, the kind of canned responses that the agents are copy and pasting, but they're actually typing real responses. That can be conversational commerce. 
very much like the conversation we're having, right? Where it's a back and forth between two people unscripted. Yeah. The kind of step down from that is having those scripted responses that people in your team can use, but that are that come from conversations, those one on one conversations that are pulling real words customers are using into the conversation that are read from a perspective of does it sound like a human wrote this or a computer wrote this, um, that, you know, get that kind of second look at the the way that these scripted responses are being used. So I think there's that too. So and that can exist in chatbots, in email responses, in autoresponders, in Facebook Messenger messages, like everywhere, you know. And then kind of the step down from that is, you know, what the intention is for the way that we talk to our customers in the first place. Do we allow for things like is every email you're coming sending coming from a no reply email address? Are you asking questions of your customers? Are you inviting their feedback and their insights? Do you have a chatbot on your site that actually gets responses? Do you offer a phone number people can call or text? Those kinds of elements that are kind of foundational to being able to build then scale up to eventually you can get to the point of like the ultimate of Zappos where you can call the Zappos call center and ask them anything you want. And and actually, if you call Zappos, and I think actually um, FreshBooks is a great example of this too, their accounting software. I remember early on in my career, I was using FreshBooks and I called them for something. I was like, oh, I can't figure this out with the help documentation. I'm going to call this number. So I called it and I was like fully expecting to be on hold for a while and routing through, uh, you know, call center push button things. And somebody answered like the second ring or something. I said, Oh, I'm sorry. Like I didn't, I'm not ready to talk to you. I, I didn't expect somebody to answer right away. And she said, we get that a lot. Take your time. <laughs> And I mean, that was, you know, eight, 10 years ago when uh, it was fairly normal to call up a call center and talk to a human. But we all want to get to that place where we can have somebody answering a phone call on a second ring and being human being and talking to talking to you. There are ways you can kind of step up to get there from where you are. I love that. And I think you just broke it down really eloquently. We've, we've talked a lot on mm-hmm. the show a lot about doing things that don't scale. And I, I want to come back to that because I think your job and what you're doing is hard to scale. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. But I think you really just eloquently kind of articulated how to get to how to how to slowly scale. So it, just because it's not the, you know, me and you on the on the, on the phone lines, like answering calls from customers or any sort of founder um, you know, working with their direct customers being the one to pick up the mm-hmm. phone, because that isn't infinitely scalable, especially as these brands get bigger. Um, and some of the folks that, you know, were initially architecting them move further and further away from those customer touch points. You don't have to lose the conversational element if that is ingrained in every, you know, touch point of what you yeah. do. So you can build ways to automate automate that. Tiffin from Text Isle, who we're actually going to be talking to later today. Yeah. That's kind of the whole premise. Uh, it's 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 this conversational tone at the point of sign up. Um, all of the messages that are sent feel very conversational. I, I mean, I there's many times where I'm like, I really don't know if this is a real person or it's automated because it feels yeah so natural. There's so many yeah. times where I'm like. Is it Tiffin? Like, who, who is this? <laughs> so I'll, I'll definitely be asking about that. But yeah, I think it's so possible for brands 
to translate the the voice and tone and the conversations they want to be having with their customers um, if they put that on the forefront of what they're doing. So I really love the way you architected that of like, it doesn't have to be out of reach. Yeah. And I think one of the important things about scaling what you do is knowing the levels at which you're planning to scale. There's no, there's never been an experience for me where I've wanted to scale something to it's like perfect scaled impact. And I jump straight there. Um, there's always like mm-hmm. steps to take to get there. And there's compromises to be had on what I'm able to do with the resources I have and what I what I know has to be set aside for the greater good of getting there eventually. And, and mm-hmm. it's important that you kind of take that long-term approach because otherwise you'll burn out on trying to scale it. And there are a lot of things that can't scale. So uh, sitting down and talking to customers one-to-one should, should never scale. I mean, there are ways that you can um, have some version of that, but that exact thing will never be scaled to any, in any kind of way. It's always going to be my time traded for a, and a customer's time uh, traded for the result of the conversation. But there are things that can scale. And so you have to think about what those Mm. things are and know I'm going, these are the things I'll never scale. These are the things I want to attempt to scale. Here are things that I want to scale, but I can't right now. And that's okay because I'm going to do these other things first. Alex Speller uh, from PostScript talked to us a little bit about that aspect as well. I I was really surprised to hear in our conversation with him that he sometimes Mm -hmm. does get on and he will be on live chat support uh, for PostScript. And he's just like, I am so far removed from it most of the time. But, you know, when I do carve out that time just to, you know, still have that touch point with customers, he's like, it's always so impactful. He's like, I always learn something new. And he gave us a really amazing example of a unique situation where I think a customer had actually left, went to a different platform and they were having issues. And they they came back to PostScript to support to say, we, we need your help. Um, and he was actually able to salvage the customer relationship and bring them back <laughs> to PostScript because he hopped on the chat that day and did the thing that doesn't scale and actually, you know, repaired that relationship because they were such a trustworthy, um, and, you know, quick response, uh, type of setup. And so that, that example, I mean, it really gave me chills because first of all, you don't hear about that often. It's not sustainable for folks at, you know, the the executive level to be having those conversations. But I think when you do trade that time, I love the way that you you phrase that of trading your time and your customer's time to have that conversation, you can unlock some really big customer wins um, and address pain points in a way that you might not be able to, um, you know, if it's automated or, or if you're not sitting down to try to do some of the more gritty work. So you just have to pick and choose of what that value adds going to be. Well, and then what is it that you're measuring against? Or what are you kind of grading your performance on? If it's time to close tickets or number of tickets mm-hmm. closed in a day, if Alex hadn't been the one responding to that particular ticket, you know, would a different person on the team have approached it differently? It would have been like, here, I'll answer these questions for you. Here's this like mm-hmm. macro of response. And I know, uh, oh, yeah, I know exactly what to look up to give you the answer that you need here, versus having that more human connection. And not that that support agent would have been doing anything wrong, um, because that's what their their job is. And I think it's worth looking at how teams like sales and support are measured 
so that there leaves room for conversation and real human connection to happen. Knowing there's like a balance, right, of you can't have human connection and conversation if there's a, a queue of a thousand tickets waiting to be answered. So you do need some level of speed and efficiency. And how do you create that right. balance? It's tricky. And I don't think I don't think anyone is doing it perfectly. And I don't know, I wouldn't trust a leader who says we're at, we've got it nailed. Mm-hmm. I think like there are, uh, you have to have the be willing to have those conversations totally. and, and then also, um, run the experiments. This is something that I think is really important is thinking about things that you're doing as experiments, especially when it's something new. So run the experiment of five tickets a day, every support agent, um, you know, doesn't use a single pre like canned response approaches the conversation as a as conversation you know approaches the the ticket as a conversation with a customer measure how the the impact of those tickets over time mm-hmm. and maybe it's like hey we're going to do this for 30 days and this mm-hmm. is going to be the the confines of our experiment and then here's when we're going to be measuring results because a lot of conversational commerce has long tail impact so it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to save that account that day or um, yes. or win somebody back or uh, even solve a problem. But the long tail impact of that customer sticking around longer, of them referring more customers to you, those kinds of things matter. And so you just have to bucketing things as experiments is very helpful, especially for someone who's trying to approach this to like take to someone in a leadership role. So whether that's like, you're a team of three people, and um, you need to go to the founder and say like, hey, I want to do this thing. You can do that if you're a team of three people and approach it as an experiment. Here's the experiment I want to run. Here's what I propose we do. Um, you can do it if you're a team of 3,000 people. You have at level steps of leadership that you need to get approvals and buy in on. Approaching it that way, I don't think long-term like conversational commerce should be a long-term experiment. I think it should be implemented into the business. So, But what are the experiments you're going to run in order to determine how you implement conversation mm-hmm. into exper- into your overall product experience? Oh, I love having these conversations because so many things come full circle. So it's interesting. A lot of the conversations we've had leading mm-hmm. up to this has been a theme that has come up is not being able to measure certain things. So like the long, basically the long tail game, we know that to be true of if you're, you know, prioritizing Mm -hmm. customers, if you're listening to them, having these conversations, the ROI will be there in the end. But a lot of us, a lot of these conversations, myself included, um, and some of our guests, we've been like, yeah, like some of the things we do just aren't measurable. And I think you just gave a really great challenge and kind of framework to that of actually you can measure most things. You just have to break it down into like a smaller experiment and that makes it feel way less scary. So I love that. So I think for anyone listening, that's such a great takeaway of like, don't be afraid to try to measure and quantify the unmeasurable. Um, Conversational commerce itself is not measurable necessarily. Yeah. I mean, ultimately conversational commerce is about impact. You want to be able to measure the impact that it has in the business. That impact can be finance, it can be revenue, it's new customers, it's customers retained, it's uh, new subscribers, whatever your measure, your financial measure is. But it can also be impact on your team. Is the team in general happier with their jobs? Are you seeing that there is 
actually space for another team member? Like, mm-hmm. does your team need more support? Um, so there's lots of ways you can measure impact. It's not about revenue always. And and I think that that's actually a place where what I do and and conversational commerce in general advocacy for your customers can get wrapped up in this world of like, what is it driving revenue? What are your what are you measuring? Are you bringing us new leads? Are you what are you doing? And I I think like, yes, ultimately, you can drive things like visits to your website or new leads because of particular efforts, you can track links on things and you can add uh, UTM parameters to whatever you want. But ultimately, we're operating on vibes and not, mm-hmm. uh, not metrics, you know, like, what is the overall feeling from their community? And is there a community forming around your product, around your brand um, that didn't otherwise exist? And can you track that back to work that you've done in the realm of like advocacy and commerce uh, conversations? Oh my gosh, Val, I'm going to say that I'm probably going to say this five times. I'll say it once, but just so we can, we can never forget it. Vibes, not metrics is a t-shirt for sure. Holy smokes. We got to get, we're, we're going to, Matt, we got to get her a t-shirt. We're going to make work. Vibes, not metrics. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. It's like in the world of email, it's the replies, not opens or clicks, right? Like, I feel like replies are a totally missed metric in the world of email. Mm -hmm. And like, that's conversational commerce. When somebody replies to your email and and gives you paragraphs of information or asks you a question in return, like that's to me, that's a huge win on a campaign. And even if that particular customer didn't purchase from that email campaign, I would call a reply a win. I'm not every marketer and I'm certainly not the best marketer in the world, but I think like that is a, an underutilized metric in um, considering the success of an email campaign, a social media, like at lots of places where we can do conversation. I wanted to jump in and like dive a little bit deeper on that and just point, call out one of our Twitter friends, uh, Jay Akuzno, and he talks about making stuff that matters and not just making like just making content for content's sake and it's resonance over reach. And I think just like to draw in from outside of e- directly an e-commerce world where he lives in the creator podcast B2B almost space, like that's where we can draw in making content that matters and like resonance over reach. Yeah. Jay is a, a big proponent of this. And one of the people that's uh, probably most loud about it in, at least in my circle. Um, and for anyone who's looking for Jay right now, it's Jay Akunzo. Jay's incredible in sharing that message of it's about, it's less about like um, the size of your audience and more about the impact that you're having. And I know that I know from working with so many brands in on email campaigns and um, particularly holiday moving through Black Friday and, and holiday flows and understanding that there's so many brands who are focused on reach over resonance. I'm not saying acquisition doesn't matter because it absolutely is a piece of your marketing pie, but it's a piece of it. It's not the entire thing. Um, Acquisition is a, it's like the stepping off point to the rest of the rest of the journey. 
So you have to acquire someone through residence, but then it's like we as brands forget to continue to resonate mm-hmm. with our customers after they've been acquired. Very early in my career, I was working with uh, like website designers, graphic designers, and mm-hmm. um, online business coaches. So, and at the time, PayPal was like the height of how people paid for courses and products and things. I always said, like, remember their people and not PayPal accounts. That just once they convert to a sale. It doesn't mean that they stop being human. And in fact, it's almost your job like to double down on the fact that they are because they've now bought something from you. And especially in the case of like an online course or a, a membership or a, a virtual product, they're now waiting for that thing to start. They've just spent a, either a deposit or however many thousands of dollars on your thing. And now uh, they're wondering what kind of value they're getting. Well, same in e-commerce. They've just bought your product and they spent their, you know, 20 bucks to 200 bucks to 2000 bucks online. It's gone from their bank account. And the only thing they have to show for it is a receipt and then their credit card statement. And if you don't give them anything else, that's when they start to go, did I make a good decision here? And then by the time your product shows up on their doorstep, 14 to 21 business days later because shipping sucks uh you know like there's there's a whole opportunity for conversation that never happened and now it's just commerce yeah oh so oh my gosh matt we have to find a way to like get we're gonna have to do a round table discussion for real because so we we couldn't Mm. be more fortunate to be hearing such similar but like complementary points of view from our guests so eli weiss from olipop Big fan. He was fantastic when we brought up the, you know, the premise of, hey, what does conversational Mm. commerce mean to you? And he took a very contrarian hot take of like, we're still calling it commerce. Like, yeah, we're we're putting conversation on the forefront. He's like, but I think the issue is that it's still commerce and that's still a transaction. So I think what I just heard you say is like, there's opportunity to keep the conversation going. It's not just the initial conversation, whether that's through acquisition, top of funnel, you know, initial nurture to get the first purchase, you can't yeah. just drive the commerce element and then yeah. stop doing things or stop that conversation if you actually want to build a relationship and if you actually want those customers to come back. Even just thinking about how you talk about it internally, whether that's a, a team of one or however many you are, the people who buy from you, if they're your customers, then that's a mindset that you have. It's like a, it's a vibe that goes into the way that you produce everything you do. But if they're people, if they are entrepreneurs, if they are brand builders, if they are uh, fitness enthusiasts, whatever your brand is, then it's a different intention in the way that you talk to them. When we talk about consumers, it's like, eh, that's, I mean, we're all consumers of something, but, but would you talk to your customers would you say hello consumer (laughs) to your customers in SaaS marketing we talk about mqls like your marketing qualified leads like what if in our emails we wrote like hello mql hello lead um you know like that doesn't doesn't work so uh you have to really think about the way the words that you use internally and i often question like you know we'll be in a conversation of well that's just an internal way that we phrase it uh we've talked about writing ebooks and well we just talk about this we i'm like can we not call it an ebook though because that's i just and um and it's like oh we're just using ebook internally i'm like okay but that's an intention that we're setting for what this is um so if it's 
if it's a resource guide, if it's an ultimate playbook, if you know, it's those are different things. And we need to use the same language internally that we're using with our customers and with with people with real humans out in the world. That is customer advocacy. There, there you go. Conversational commerce, the ultimate playbook of vibes. Playbook of vibes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm having the absolute most fun. So thank you so much for that. Really set the tone. Something else we've talked about, and I, I want to I wanna pivot a little bit, is the whole premise of personalization. I think of, that's a hot buzzword for marketers, especially in the email space, Val. I know you get it. And I think we like to think that personalization translates to something inherently feeling personal. Um, and as you know, on the email side, it, it goes so much deeper than that. And you have to go well beyond just putting mm-hmm. someone's you know first name into an email or an SMS at this point. So something I want to talk to you about is Clavio's premise on customer first data. Yeah, customer first data is the data that your customers want to give you. So it's the information that they fill out in forms. It's the things that they click on to indicate interest. The buttons and the emails are on their site. The things that they explicitly tell you about them. So it is not retargeting pixels. It is not following people around the internet. It's truly just presenting places for them to share more data about themselves and and then storing that and and hopefully if you're using it right reusing it so uh, that's like the essence of what customer first data is and you can do everything from embedding it into an email to segmenting Mm -hmm. to pulling all that those data points from uh clavio as uh is not just powering email and SMS sense, but also a, a really a database layer pulling in um, data points from other solutions and uh, layering all of that data in one place so you can make informed decisions for your business, not just in the way that you go out and talk to your customers through email and SMS, but in other places. I've seen brands that change entire product decisions based off of the data that they see between um, what they're getting from Klaviyo and then all the other data points that come into Klaviyo. Uh, so that that database layer being really important to driving future business decisions, but it's all based on customer first data, the data that those customers are saying, hey, I want to give this to you. And it's super important because um, that's the data that they then expect you to respond with. So if I tell a brand that I'm interested in their women's clothing, that and they start to send me men's shorts, I get really frustrated. It's one mm-hmm. thing if I never said any, if you never asked, if I never told you, you know, it's like, uh, I go by Val, my full name is Valerie. Um, mm-hmm. I never introduced myself as Valerie. If you just called me Valerie all the time, I would be like, I've literally never used that name with you. Why are you calling me that? It's important that if a customer gives you data about themselves that you're using it, um, they expect you to. I think it's like the most vital of all data you can possibly have. Data that they happen to like trickle around the internet and you go around and pick up like scraps is uh, not necessarily data that they want you to have anyways. Not a vibe. Definitely not a vibe. I, I was really pleased with, I think, the the semantic and the language choice around customer first data because it does it does put customers at the forefront. I think it ties back really nicely to the um, concept of conversational commerce because it's opening that conversation, right? It's asking rather than as marketers saying, 
you know, we're, we're going to assume or we've appended this data because we've, we've found it elsewhere or, you know, yes, we've followed you around the internet. I think we're learning both on the consumer side and on the marketing side of we don't want to be tracked. Um, of course, that's where so many of these uh, privacy changes are coming from an iOS standpoint, also from a cookie sunsetting standpoint over the next few years. And then as marketers, we're still tasked with the challenge of like, we do want to provide these personal and personalized experiences, but how do we do that if we can't just, you know, steal the data or pick up the scraps of data? I mean, that's the that's the basis of customer first data. And honestly, like going back to GDPR and Can Spam Act before that was like basically reading through all those documents because I was deep in email then, um, you know, was really like, okay, so these are a bunch of laws that exist to tell us to not be jerks as marketers. Got it. So the fact that we even need these laws is because a bunch of people are going around like trying to be jerks on the internet that they're like stealing information. I mean, it's essentially stealing, right? Like if I throw papers away in my trash can and you go into my trash can and steal, take those papers, that's theft, you know, but you now have data on me because I put it in my trash can and it was sitting at the curb. That's what we're doing on the internet uh, is dumpster diving for people's data all over the place where they've just happened to left it around. So look, we'll grab it. Well, now it's like, no, um, I'm going to knock on your door and ask you to fill out this form and you can tell me yes or no. Like you either want to fill it out or you don't. Um, And then you're going to have a much better buy-in from your customer. Like I'm way more excited to buy from a brand when I've shared data with them. They know who I am. They understand what I'm interested Mm -hmm. in. I don't get emails about things I'm not interested in. I get personalized recommendations inside the emails for things I am. Those data points are important to me and I'm more likely to buy than if somebody scrapes my information um, from the internet somewhere and then happens to show up in my inbox. Yeah. Oh, dumpster diving for data. That's so accurate. It just ha- it just happened to me yesterday. I haven't gotten a lot of these, um, but I see folks you know, rightfully complain about them all the time. Um, I won't even name the brand name, but it's an it's a beverage uh, company online. I was I was uh, looking for CPG brands to make recommendations, and I couldn't believe it. But I had all I had done was visited the site and yep. shared a link with someone. I am not subscribed to their email list. I have never signed up for SMS. I received an email from a company called SafeOpt, which must be like a shared list rental service. And, you know, it came through and it was like, here's your 10% off for this thing that we know you were looking at, but it came from SafeOpt. Um, it had the, the beverage brand in it. And it very clearly said on the bottom, like, this is a third party advertisement. And I'm like, wow, I, any sentiment, any positive sentiment that I just had towards the brand or wanting to try the brand has now completely gone out the window. So forget the long tail game. Like we're never going to get there because you just like, ruined, you know, the relationship before it even began. And if it feels weird in real life, then it's weird on the internet. Um, Like, that's the thing is we get behind these computer screens and we forget that they're real human beings receiving the other side of what we're doing. And, you know, it's like, it's like when you go to a store and we've all had that experience of walking into a store and somebody's at the door and they're like, hi, can I help you? Can I help you find something? And you're like, nope, just looking. And then everywhere you go, there's somebody else. Can I help you find something? Oh, that shirt would look really pretty on you. Um, you know, like there's a, a somebody at every step along the way. Do you want me to start your dressing room? Do you want to check out? I can do that right here on this iPad. Um, you know, it's like, please just leave me alone and let me look. Um, and 
and imagine like those that's what we're doing on the internet or if you're like walking on the street and someone is like stephanie mm-hmm. and you have no idea who they were and and they were like hey don't you live in this neighborhood and they knew like all kinds of stuff about you would you yeah i would like run and hide and maybe call for backup that's what we're doing on the internet and you just have to think about that like take the exact scenario you're if if somebody writes into your um chat your chat bot for support and if somebody walked up to you and asked you about your product and mm-hmm. they asked you a question and you were like hang on one second and you look in your computer and you copy and paste like you copy a response and then you show it to them or you read it out loud to them in a very robotic voice like what kind of conversation is that that's happening and just like think about the actual experience if it were a human to human um because that it still is it is even though it's over a computer it's still human to human right um, I'm sure we've all experienced this, even with live chat, um, even with some of the best companies, you go into live support and it's like, you know, please like select number, whatever to speak to a representative. It's like, you just introduced, it said, Hey, I'm so-and-so the live chat concierge. And I'm still not even actually speaking to a person and you shouldn't have to, you know, be so savvy to have to navigate around that because if it was a conversational experience, like it would feel really natural. It would feel really fluid. Um, it wouldn't be hidden and hard to find. So I love that perspective of like, try to envision this as a real life scenario or a Saturday Night Live skit and see how it lands. Yeah. So I'm curious to learn a little bit more about the conversations you're having with brands, with founders and with customers in your role. Um, I'd love to know. I, so I think two things. Um, a, if there's some, you know, major lessons that have stood out to you, like what have you learned by talking to customers and having these conversations and then two if there's any like really fun examples that stand out of brands that like you just I don't know you went into it and you had a conversation that you weren't expecting or you got so much more out of it um, than you could have anticipated I'd love to know a little more about your experiences Uh, what I hear the most is I'm just really grateful that you guys want to talk to us and like understand who we are I hear that from a lot of our brands that it's sadly a unique experience to get a chance to to tell your story as a customer to a, a company that you um, buy from and that you interact with. So I think there's that is like, it makes me happy and it also makes me sad. And uh, I guess my like moral of that story is more um, your, your customers do want to talk to you. Uh, they want to tell you their story, they the people who interact with your brand, they they want they want to tell you about their lives, their businesses, whatever it is that they're doing. Um, they they want to, so don't be afraid to ask. And even if people tell you no upfront, it doesn't mean no forever, and it also doesn't mean no from everybody. So if you get a no from one or two customers, don't let that stop you because there are customers who want to talk to you. Um, so I hear that most often people that I talk to all the time. See, I even get trapped in that, like saying customers thing. Um, but the people I talk to, uh, the brand owners and operators that I get a chance to talk to, um, that are most inspiring to me are the ones who are doing that, that thing I talked about of the database layer where they're kind of taking, all of their information and putting it all together in one place, 
pulling all of the data points into Clavio, using what Clavio natively collects, understanding what their customers want, what their the people who interact with their brands want, using that to create segments and to create, you know, new pathways to have conversations and to inform their business decisions. I think that that's the most powerful thing to to do is not just to to talk to your customers, but to help that inform your business decisions to know, um, okay, well, I'm having these one-to-one conversations. I have these data points I've collected through all the different software that I use. How do I, you know, really marry those two to become this is the path forward for our brand where we're really taking all these different data pieces into consideration quantitative of you know what you see in your in your database system and qualitative of what you hear one to one in your conversations the brands that i talk to that are doing that uh, are seeing you know i talked to a brand a couple weeks ago where that helped give them the confidence to go from couple thousand dollar purchase orders Mm -hmm. to multiple thousands of dollars when they were making a jump in their business and kind of taking a big risk of like, we need to put in a big PO if we're going to expect people to to buy a lot from us. Um, We need to kind of put it out into the universe of like, this is the size company we are. So they did that using data backed decisions and talking to their customers and understanding who they were and what their needs were based off of both types of data, and then using that mm-hmm. to to go out and place those big POs and and grow into the company that they are today. Yeah. And how are these conversations that you're having with people, so brands, founders, day-to-day folks that are leveraging Clevio, how, I, I'm, I'm personally curious, how does this translate back to the product? One of the reasons I love being here is because everyone talks to our customers. So it's not just the advocacy team, it's every team. Um, our data scientists talk to customers, our product team talks to customers, our, our growth and support people talk to customers. And everyone, I haven't met a team that doesn't. That helps inform the business decisions all the way. We're constantly testing against what customers have to say. I think what's unique about advocacy is that we're bringing in the pieces of the conversation that don't necessarily relate directly to the product, um, but more like what is the experience the customers want to have in the long run? What is what is it that brand builders need the most? And then taking that back to the product teams and the the, the various teams internally and being able to say, what, what can you do with mm-hmm. this information? Um, or what do you want to hear more about? So for advocacy, it's more about the whole story of the the brands that, that we interact with, and and then each team has their own focus internally. Um, so I'm not necessarily asking people like, now click here and see what happens. And what if you do this uh, in the product, but it's more like, who are they? What are the goals that they have? Um, it's that jobs to be done of what is it that they're trying to accomplish? And how can we help them do that? Mm, love that. So if there's anything else that you want to say, In terms of your thoughts on conversational commerce, customer storytelling, people storytelling, anything that you want to leave um, our listeners with, the floor is yours. Gosh. Um, (laughs) 
Uh, I think like the most important thing is to uh, to give it a try. A lot of people ask me like, well, how do I get my my boss to let me do this? Or how do I get buy in on on running those experiments? Or how do I make space in my own week to do it? I think start small and um, and set parameters. So uh, if it's making space in your own week, I'm I'm going to talk to one customer every single week, I'm going to block an hour, uh, you know, that I'm going to make sure every week I have a customer that I'm talking to, to all the way to I'm going to set up the parameters of this entire experiment and know who's going to be involved and, you know, create buy in that way. So implement as in as small a scale as you can to have some kind of measurable impact and then just keep going that it's not it's not one and done. And it's also not like, all or nothing that you can you can have impact in conversational commerce as in very small ways, but um, making sure that it's something that happens consistently over time is the most important piece. Just keep going and and talking to your customers and, and listening to what they have to say. Mm, so important. Thank you all so much. And before we let you go, I'd love for our listeners to know where they can follow along if they want more of your customer storytelling insights. Yeah, uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter at lovevalgeisler on Twitter. You, that's that's really the best <laughs> the best place to come find me and and chat with me. I would love to hear if you listen to this episode. Come say hi, um, and uh, let me know what your big takeaways were or where you want to know more because I'm I could talk about this all day. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Val. Take care. Us too. Val, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic. And definitely follow Val on Twitter. That's at LoveValGeisler. Um, big Twitter fan. You won't regret it. All the cool kids hang out there. So come join us. <laughs> As we wrap up today's episode, another shout out to our sponsor, Postscript, the leader in SMS marketing for Shopify and Shopify Plus brands. If you're not already using Postscript, be sure to check out their free 30-day trial. That's right. 30 full days, an entire calendar month for free. We've heard some brands have made over $100,000 during their free trial, so don't sleep on this. For your 30-day free trial, check out the link in our show notes or visit postscript.io. Again, that's postscript.io to start your free trial today.